You are listening to the Next Best Series podcast, and this is Will Mavity's interview with the sound editor and re-recording mixer for Pachinko, Luciano Vignola, and the re-recording mixer, Martin Zembor. to honestly just focus on the first episode of Pachinko because there's so much to unpack there if that works for you and kind of go scene by yeah. scene. Yeah, so this is obviously uh, a show that with multiple timelines shifts pretty dramatically between pretty very different sonic environments. So uh, the first scene is a really great showcase of that. We start in the woods, you know, it's, um, you, you have these great sounds of like, I guess the cicadas and everything. And then she goes into the cabin and then it's cutting back and forth and introducing us to like the busy 1980s world and the sound transition there are just fantastic. So tell me a little bit about that intro and that kind of uh, contrast between those two environments that you create to bring us into the show. Yeah, well, so right, so it, it opens with her in the woods, and and she's she's approaching the the woman who's getting at you know the fertility woman. A lot of that structure was pretty like well laid out in the rough cut in the temp. Um, there's this that that beautiful moment where the siren sort of swells in and rushes us into the into New York City in the in eighty nine. A lot of what we did there was like just experimenting with with how intimately we wanted to play the the moment in the woods and how intimately we wanted to feel in that hut um, to to contrast it to the bustly, chaotic nature of New York City. Of course, the music, I think, guided us temporarily to like take us from one moment into the next. Nico Muli, the composer, he 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 had worked. Yeah, he's incredible. Right. Yeah. Um, and he did a lot of work with Sue early on. So 
a lot of that structure was there, especially with episode one. You know, this was this was an episode that that they they field tested extensively and and structured, you know, in a few different ways. And and this is this is what stuck. But um, yeah, I mean, yes, also the episode that establishes a lot of the locations, at least for a few of the episodes to come. Yeah, the tone of the whole show. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting how it starts with this in this simple hut there and the conversation so close up and get into the intensity and then it turns into the dance with the music and intercutting to the big New York office, right? Yeah, yeah so that that's another thing with the dance. That That's a wonderful moment. I know that was pre-planned, but tell me a little bit about kind of deciding on the right sound for the drums and everything to really make that scene work. Yeah, the, the drum that they actually recorded on set, this is as, as it goes in filmmaking, was was not as big and 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 timpani-like as, as they wanted it to be. So uh, we replaced that sound and there was a there was this, you know, the idea here was to maintain the sound of the drum constantly throughout that sequence as we went back mm -hmm. and forth at different time periods the quality and the tonality of the drum had to fit around the dialogue it had to fit around the the score it had to fit around the scene itself the the drum that we used it, it was a it was a korean drum this was a, a virtual instrument that i that we designed and mm. it's when we're in south korea it's it plays as more of a diegetic drum right and then when we switch to new york city it sort of morphs into this timpani style thing, which is, it's very, it's much lower in pitch and it kind of sits underneath the score and everything. Um, and then it weaves in and out very dramatically with, along with the score and everything. Yeah, that's one of the things I love, the way that you guys work with Nico Moly's score throughout. You said that Nico was involved pretty early in the process, but tell me just generally a little bit about planning things around Nico's score. Because you mentioned the first scene, you know, it kind of plays like the siren. It almost sounds like that as part yeah. of the score. And there's this next scene where they're in the field and uh, there's like a, the crickets flying around and it, it really, you know, you have those sounds working together. So that that's a really interesting process. Right. It is an interesting process also because early on, we only had like the the temp music that had chosen, which was all Nico's music, but it wasn't the mm -hmm. score for mm. the eventual score for it. And just because of the early nature, you guys had started, you and Philippe, with the sound designing and ideas and seeing Sue a lot as soon as I had temp cuts to like develop some sound design ideas because Sue has very specific conceptual ideas of what to do and a lot of it is in this beautiful script already annotated as to what the sounds are going to be like and what the music mm. is going to be like kind of thing and then on the music side Susanna Parrish our music editor and Nico they work together with Sue of just developing a concept to, to how to even approach such an epic monster so to speak in the best <laughs> way of a show and of how to even get to something that is a coherent musical score for it but it has all these different moments that it accommodates and Nico itself has this amazing process for coming up with things and then also how they recorded the score like different different parts of the score sometimes they recorded at different speeds mm. and then to play back so it's not just this 
very normal, not necessarily flat, but like original sounding thing. It has all these tempy things that like do all this funny interweaving between the scenes and the elements. So at some point we were like, now it's time we maybe should come together <laughs> yeah, and, it, and talk about how how we'll bring this together. It, it, it wasn't a bad problem to have, but we were confronted with this unique challenge of like, Nico's score is thematically very dense. It's, mm -hmm. it's it is it is very and there there are as you said there are a lot of tempos at play at the same time, and by the time we had gotten even the temp score, we we could tell from the beginning that there was going to have to be a lot of conversations as to how do we direct the viewer through these stories because we are all trying to tell the same story at the same right. time. Uh, uh, out of sheer just enthusiasm and, and you know, uh, in terms of our approach. So there, there were a lot of, I mean, in episode one, particularly, I think the one scene that comes to mind is when she is underwater fishing. Yes. That, I was going to ask about that scene. Yeah. So that, that's a, that, that was a huge sequence that took a lot of time just in terms of um, like minimizing it and, and, and boiling it down to it's like bare essence. We, the score that came was so beautifully dense and rich and it, it stood on its own as its own thing. But of course we, we also have the sounds of the water and we have the sounds of the folia of the movement of her and we're cutting up and up and down underneath the water and we're cutting to the father. Um, we, there were a lot of pieces to play with. And so, you know, it, it's not clear cut there, there's, there, there were many conversations as to, as to how to thin this out and how to sort of create a clear, concise, conversation right. how to, also how to let the scene develop you know it's like right. one part and it's both in the music and in the sound effects side and then also obviously the dialogue with with the father upstairs just like getting more and more fearful but it's like the element of the awe of Sunja being down there and being completely lost in it but you see also in a way the shot the tremendous depth of the of the sea there and to feel that on the one side the calming thing but on the other side also the potential danger yeah. that Huni who upstairs and he's like holding his breath along and he's running out of breath and wondering <laughs> is he is she lost down there and all that tension and let it develop with the score and also right. like the waves and the winds upstairs and his screaming and the music goes back down into this calmness so we tried a lot of different things to to get that to play on yeah. all these different levels yeah don't you know that you're a grown-up I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. 
I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. There's another really uh, interesting environment you guys created from a sound perspective I love, which was the pinball arcade where uh, his dad works. And uh, I was curious because each of those pinball machines seems to have its own unique sound. Um, and then obviously you blend them all kind of out into this kind of almost like a rain background sound. But uh, I love that intro to all the bling, 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 so so yeah yeah it is production I have audio. to say right Luciano will speak to it more but him and Philippe Luciano is the supervising sound editor and also the mixer and, and I'm a, just the mixer so they started earlier him and Philippe Messeter our sound designer I let him tell the story but I just when I first heard like in the cutting room where they were going with this I was completely blown away. <laughs> such a sonic signature for this and now Luchi can tell yeah, the whole yeah. story much better that was the the that was one of the first things we started to talk about when we saw it in a rough cut because we're like okay well we're mixing this show in atmos so there's a lot of fun to be had there um these machines are period specific they sound very distinct they have a very like specific sound signature if you go on youtube and listen to these pachinko parlors first of all it depends on what year you're listening to obviously but mm -hmm. um they they sound like white noise it's 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 really difficult to capture sonically what these spaces are with mm -hmm. with just microphones in a space so our approach was to sort of design the whole thing from scratch we uh the the producer then jordan mercia she she shipped us one of these machines um <laughs> and we uh we we brought it into our studio and we used this we, we, we concocted this whole sort of thing where we we recorded, you know, using five different mics at different angles and different perspectives. And we just let the machine do its thing. And we did it in multiple variations. And and then Philippe, uh, you know, we there's this there's a specific software that is used when you're sort of designing big sort of war scenes where, where it's involved like 500, 1,000 like different elements right mm -hmm. and so we basically just layered these pieces all on top of each other until it really resembled the the cacophony of the space the cool thing about it is especially because we're mixing in dolby atmos there's a level of interactivity in the scene and i don't know if you can tell but like as the characters walking through the space you're sort of feeling the these machines move around you mm -hmm. and then when you cut to the extreme close-up we had you know individual every single sound that you hear was individually cut to match the sync of every ball that was falling That's and so it was cool placed and panned and and yeah really that that one little sequence could have taken a year if we if we let ourselves <laughs> do it but it didn't we didn't have that amount of time to do it but yeah that was a really fun fun sequence to build well you uh you know you're talking about things kind of like tracking with the characters because you uh you mixed in dolby uh the office environments are definitely interesting too yeah you know the there's the one in uh in tokyo where he's going and you just have all you're following the clacking of the keyboards and stuff yeah yeah yeah. The, 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 that was the shifley bank that was another thing we we did a, we approached that in a very similar way god that clacking took forever too yeah it was a it was a similar thing we we recorded individual um typing 
And we created these sort of pass-bys, almost the way you record a car passing by a microphone. Mm-hmm. Where so so every kind of cluster of of um, office desks, there would be like a swell of keyboards coming across. There was so much in this show about introducing you to these worlds sonically. Yeah. Um, that's one, but uh, but on the same on the same like track, there's the the fish markets in Busan. Yep. Um, yep. With a very similar concept. I mean, th- there's when when the, the the shots on the wide and when we're establishing these scenes, you're showing the you're showing the space and you're showing the people and you're showing the the chaos of it, you know. And then and then you cut into these really cool detail shots where you you want to feel the fish and and hear the the you know the clams and stuff right and you guys like early on they had conversations to put them in touch with like the the production designers for all the details of which kind of things they use and what materials there were and doing their own research of what materials there were and then the foley's representing all these things with very specific sounds so as you move through the market, that whole world shifts around. And when you go on a close-up, it has those sounds. And then layered on top is like the all the people talking. And that the I mean, that was tremendous ADR, like even just for loop group mm-hmm. in the different dialects that would be there. Like Busan has a very specific dialogue, and then mm. others, and then there's the Japanese people walking around aside from the soldiers speaking Japanese and then you know it's to build all these layers of the world and then just like you hear the ocean and the winds there and and then the dialogue itself very specific that was like Sue was very sensitive to having all these accents right so they represent geographically and time-wise I mean there were layers of translators and historians oh like language historians yeah. and all that involved for for all these things you know yeah. like yeah and and then the music kind of comes and and takes it in this or that direction it was many layers to work out but yeah. it also how many layers are we talking about how so many fascinating yeah lot we lost track i mean <laughs> god that's nuts know. No, there's one other great moment in this, which is where you you have multiple like radio reports overlapping. Mm. Um, in uh, you know, I'm talking about towards the end of the episode. Yeah, yeah uh, an emperor dies right the announcement yes. from around the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about that. That that's a great moment. That was I I mean, again, the credit there goes to the editors and Sue because a lot of that structure was was there when we watched it in the rough cut. There's an amazing sensation that happens there when you're in the bustle of the office and then all of a sudden just the air sucks out and it goes to complete silence. And that, that tool being used in that specific moment, I thought is so incredibly strong and effective because it sort of shocks your brain into thinking like what's about to happen. And then, you know, what, what you're representing there is that this was an event that shocked the world that everyone was talking about. And the camera goes wide, you know, we cut to these exterior, those beautiful exterior shots. And then we slowly come back into Huni. And um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's also an amazing sequence. We recorded every individual radio announcement specifically. um, And they were all sort of treated and and filtered to sort of try and match the, the time period in which they would have been recorded and sort of, you know, again, with the Atmos thing, they were sort of placed around the room a little bit. And then, you know, story-wise, how it goes from that, the emperor dying to Huni, Sunja's father, 
in his last breaths and, mm -hmm. and dying of his disease there. And it goes into this very, very intimate, tiny little moment of the mother and the daughter just breathing and and mourning and then goes into the whole story of the father mm -hmm. telling a story and um to sunja basically about how to carry on her life and you know it's just beautifully done but that's sue and sue's way of telling these stories and it's fascinating to just work on that and work out those details and get it to feel right all right so the last thing i was going to ask about is um there's a contrast in the fish market scenes. The first time you mentioned it's very bustling, it's very loud. Then there's this, uh, the end of the episode, the fish market, we go in there and it's hollow. Uh, you know, it's just like yeah. very echoey. I, uh, yeah. I was curious about that, that contrast there. You can hear the boards like, those the guys walking along yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. Uh, tell me about that. Well, yeah, we were, we, two things there. We were playing with the perspective of the visual when you first come into that area, because that's the market that we're all familiar with, right? But we're also introducing a new character. And so we, it, you wanna feel a shift there, both sonically and visually. So we were matching the perspective of the camera, but we were also setting up the groundwork to, to let, you, like, let you in on what's happening, that something new is happening. And I mean, that shot is incredible. It's, you know, it's sort of front lit and he's standing there as a silhouette. So and good. it's theatrical. But it's also partly how, while he is there and arriving and taking over, Hansu is also at the same time incredibly removed from mm -hmm. that side of the world, as much as he is engaged with because of his yeah. business, but he lives in a different world. Yeah. And then his eyes go over there to Sunja and you have a little bit of her coming across and then the camera goes back, we're in there and then we go back. But it's like, there's so much storytelling you know, in the in the sound, so to speak. Right. And that, then the music, obviously. That sequence bookends pretty elegantly, I think, to the very beginning when you have the Japanese officers walking through the fish market and you mm -hmm. hear their the heaviness of their boots against the wood. That was that was sort of a theme that we wanted to have you key into from the beginning to then bring it back to the end because the whole point there was to help you recognize that this is this is an older Sunja that you're seeing, that she doesn't bow her head. Right. She's she's looking straight at them as they walk by her. Um, and then she continues walking when they leave. And then that's followed by that. That's what throws Hansu's attention over to her, um, which prompts him to ask, who is this woman? Who is this girl? Um, and then as he's slowly tracking her, walking off like across the dock, you you're, you stay connected to his footsteps, even though we cut to her because mm. you're still with him, watching him sort of watch her as it were. And then that's when the score starts to creep in in a, in a beautiful way. Yeah, that's a beautiful sequence. Yeah, I was one. I guess that's why the footsteps really stood out to me because, uh, you know, I, I yeah. felt every one of those. Um, yeah. Well, guys, this I'm obsessed with your work in the show. It's fantastic. So um, yeah. I'm, I'm excited for everyone else to get to see it. And I, uh, nice. I hope you guys have good luck this Emmy season because it's it's really just amazing work. And thank you so much for taking the time to give me this yeah, inside I mean, look into it's nice to see somebody so excited and uh, and interested in it because it's you know we have endless stories to share because it was so much work yeah. and so much fun in the process of discovery and just you had to really lean in to figure it out. Yeah. But it's it's nice that it actually speaks that way to other people too to know and to see and to hear. <laughs> well, is there any one just like tidbit about the season as a whole you want to share before we go then? Because you said you have endless stories. Endless stories. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah, is there anything you want to specifically um, talk about? Not so much as a story, but like I have to say one of the favorite moments, the whole in episode four, when they're on the ship and the, the whole between the singing upstairs and how mm. that turns into a protesting and, and downstairs. And then it cuts to the Korean landowner. That is just such a beautifully con, uh, cut and conceived sequence. And to work out the sound for that, that was just fascinating. It, it is like, it's one of the culminating points of what I think Pachinko does so well, which is take you through multiple storylines at the same time and weave multiple themes in and out. And this this sequence in episode four, to me is sort of the the, the crux of it where you're watching you're watching two worlds sort of devolve but but you're seeing him make a choice you know and it it's it's it, yeah that was sort of an incredible culmination of sort of all the devices and themes and and motifs that were used across Pachinko, i think yeah it's it's insane storytelling what what you and everyone involved in the show is doing so well thank you both so much it's great and i can't wait to hear your work in the staircase as well i'm sure it's also excellent so uh, right. best Thanks. of luck guys thank you will hey everyone thank you so much for listening to will mavity's interview with the sound editor and re-recording mixer luciano vignola and the re-recording mixer martin zembor for the apple tv hit series pachinko here on the next best series podcast the Next Best Series podcast is part of the Next Best Picture podcast umbrella, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.